Hey guys, this is welcome to another episode of MC Anime. MC here, and I'm with another special guest with us today, Marlin Shot. She is a producer, executive, and overall good talent. How you doing today? <laughs> Thank you, and thanks for the the vote of confidence. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> So what do you do and where they can find you? Well, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn because I'm mm -hmm. a maniac on LinkedIn. That's my go-to platform because I've gotten a number of opportunities there. So I'm, I'm LinkedIn's biggest cheerleader. And what do I do? I do a lot of things. Uh, I am a dog mom. So I'll say that first and foremost, my dog, child. Blanche is also my business partner in Pink Poodle Productions. She's a Bichon Poodle mix who is very outspoken, and um, she is also my muse. And um, so I've worked in animation for one million years, and I go back to the stone ages of animation, and I, have, I live in Los Angeles. I've been here for a while. Uh, but I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, and I moved out to Los Angeles years ago to pursue a career in show business. My original goal was to be an actress, which I, I still do sporadically, but my career behind the scenes as a creative executive, writer, producer, overshadowed anything that I did in acting, and that's what pays my bills. So gotcha. that's what takes up most of my time. So, you hear it from Marlon Sharp, what she is, what she does, and where you can find her. Uh, this particular episode, we're going to do focus on animating and making it your life. So, Pink Poodle Productions and animation is going to be the focus for Marlene here and her connection to Pink Poodle. <laughs> so, it's kind of interesting that Pink Poodle is like what? Uh, indirect or a direct link to your dog? Yes, it's because it's my company. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I started it a few years back. Well, I, I set up the website when I was still working for Sega. Yeah. Uh, maybe five years ago. as just a glorified resume, really. And just a way to showcase my work. A lot of times when you apply for jobs, you're asked to give a link to a portfolio or a website. So I created it for that. And then, um, so at that time I was working for Sega. Then I went to work for another Japanese video game company called Level 5. And um, I worked there for a couple of years as the head of production for all of their film and TV animation that is based on their video game properties and so i did that for a couple of years until the japan headquarters decided to close our office so that was toward the end of 2019 and i lost my job at level five and i didn't have another job waiting for me unfortunately so pink poodle productions became front and center and um that just became my my job i, I decided to work under that as a 
as a mm-hmm. banner. And at, at the time I was transitioning out of level five, I was fortunate to have some freelance opportunities and consulting work that I just ran it through the company, right. which is my company. And um, I've, I've been doing that for the past two and a half years. Okay. Okay. And with the Pink Poodle Productions, do you find that you're in entry-level animation or you're actually, like, geared into your expert level when the job is... That's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, Well, I I position myself as an expert in all all ways possible because I have been in the business for a lot of years and I, I... I have a lot of experience, but you would be surprised how many people contact me, especially on LinkedIn. I I love LinkedIn. And then also I I have a love hate relationship sometimes with LinkedIn because people contact me all the time and want me to do stuff for free, which is kind of what you do when you're, when you're paying your dues, when you're a a new person in the business and you're just wanting to get as much experience as possible. And, um, it depends on the project. Like if it's, if it's something that I really, really believe in, there is a small chance that I will work on it for free. But for the most part, I need to make a living and, Mm -hmm. um, and entry level stuff either just doesn't pay at all or the pay is very low. And, um, and a lot of times people don't want to work with me on entry level stuff because they'll look at my resume and they'll say, Oh, you're overqualified. And so I think people feel intimidated by somebody who has a lot of experience, especially if they have less experience. So it's not, not, I don't feel that I'm snobby about any opportunities. It's just, uh, I have to, I have to be, I have to look out for myself. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I do. And, you know, with my experience, the thing is, I don't know, I'm an entry-level podcast, but the thing is, I have been around TV production way before mm-hmm. podcasting. So, scripts, mm-hmm. light stage, design, sound design, basic production, production notebook is everything I did. So, mm-hmm. even if that was at a you know, school level, I have a lot of awareness for it. And uh-huh. I know more than I think, and then they get surprised by that fact when I reveal that. Yeah, it's a it's a delicate balance between advocating for yourself as mm. a professional and being flexible and wanting to work on cool projects to get the bragging rights and to add to your list of experiences. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, it's. I wish I had the secret sauce as to hmm. as far as how to best manage that, but yeah. um, it it really it's kind of like you examine it on a case by case basis and try to make the best decision possible. I worked on projects that I thought were regular paying jobs where I thought I was getting a a, a decent salary or consulting fee and then was never paid at all and Mm. um in fact i just saw uh, a notice on linkedin that 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 one particular employer who did that to me is advertising for a script writing job on linkedin right now and i want to just scream 
don't, don't apply for that job. He doesn't pay people. Um, so, I mean, it's possible to get scammed no matter yeah. what you do. Yeah. And um, so you just need to be careful. And um, some people use an agent or a manager or an attorney to negotiate for them or, or to be like their spokesperson. Mm -hmm. But there are pitfalls with that, too. So there are no, no guarantees. This is a highly speculative business. Oh, yeah. And... Uh... Do Pink Poodle and your animation career, what has, like, what is your, like, specialty when it comes to animation techniques that you like to go back to? Well, one thing that I'm not is an artist. So I try to, I do try to keep current on the different kinds of animation software and, mm. um, and tech, animation techniques and, and, technology and things like that but I, I won't get in on storyboard pro for instance and create a storyboard or um, animate a sequence or anything like that but um, my areas of expertise are development creative development so all the steps that go into putting a project together to, to get it into production short of drawing the concept art so gotcha. um so finding production, putting together productions, like uh, co-productions, to, to have enough financing um, to start the project, di securing distribution, um, and also uh, storytelling. So anything that relates to writing um, and scripting and creating worlds, like creating characters, and taking all those elements and integrating them with a consumer products program. Oh, okay. So I specialize in working on merchandise driven entertainment. Okay. Um, so yeah. you're in the pre-production is what we call it. You're in the pre-production yeah, phase. Pre-production. Pre yes. That's a, that's a big, yes. Well, pre-production has a lot to offer in that field because you have to prepare everything before you get into even production itself because you have to oh, yeah. not only think of the idea propose the idea get the idea approved and then think out the idea and then work with people to continue that idea and then to do more staff meetings with it but you also have to continue the same motivation going forward when you first start the project and that exactly. kind of falls apart when you get really close to production when everything's look good and clean and then things you get issues in the way that's right and there's a reason why people in the business call it development hell uh because yeah. it often that that process often takes a long time and leads nowhere and um sometimes it's for contractual reasons for legal reasons so what? uh another Another of my areas of expertise is securing the rights for things. So mm -hmm. if a project is based on a book series or a video game or a toy or um, a magazine article or something like that, there's a lot that a lot of work that goes into um, researching the chain of title, like who, who has the underlying rights, yeah. who, who needs to get uh, compensated and who need, yeah. who we need to have. Um, contracts with and then um and then planning out a strategy to get it to the screen and also to stores so um so the storytelling is the fun part of it yeah. i love to tell stories and and 
pretend and I played dolls all my life and I love I love that stuff. But I feel like that's the luxury that you get yeah. when all the, the business stuff is taken care of. So I have a project that I'm working on now called Young Captain Nemo. And I I've actually been working on it. Wow. I guess I first found out about the it's a book series that um, my my employer, Rainshine Entertainment, uh, who I started with as a consultant uh, a couple of years back, um, we we optioned a book trilogy called Young Captain Nemo. I probably found out about those books in 2019 when I was still working at Level 5. And then I brought them to uh, Rainshine when they um, engaged me as a consultant. And then I was instrumental in getting the rights to the book and then attaching a screenwriter who wrote the script for the first movie and, um, constructing a, a, a press strategy. So we've had some announcements in the trades through the last couple of years and, um, various other things. And then just like two weeks ago, there was an announcement in variety that we were, we were that Rainshine was kicking off Young Captain Nemo, but we've actually been working on it for two years now, and it'll probably take another two plus years to get the first movie to the screen because it just yeah. takes a long time. And uh, another thing to consider in this process is getting the rights is not always what it seems to be. Because there could be like three different rights that you have to get. You got distributing rights, you have the merchandise rights, and you also have sometimes the creative rights from the author. So the creative rights is separate by the author, the merchandise rights is by someone else, and then distribution is not even through. Sometimes it's like one merchandise, one distribution, and the author, like three different areas you have to cover, and even more than that. Oh yeah, it's it and and also if it's um if it's a reboot of something that's been done mm. previously, like um like I worked on Pink Panther, I worked mm. on a Pink Panther TV series and a Christmas special, and that was very complicated in terms of rights because um, there were a number of stakeholders. There was MGM, the studio that owned the live action movie franchise. And then there was the estate of Blake Edwards, who was the director, um, the director of the, the live action movies, but he still had a, um, a portion. He owned a portion of the intellectual property. Mm. Then there's another um, iconic movie producer named Walter Mirisch. He was also a stakeholder and we wanted to, oh, and then there was Henry Mancini, the composer who created the iconic theme song of Pink Panther. And so we wanted to use some of those elements in our new show, but every little thing that we use from the pre-existing uh, adaptations would be, it would, it would be a, a legal thing and often would cost money. <laughs> And um, and that's also what happened when I worked on Postman Pat, the movie. Um, Postman Pat's a really well-known British franchise, and I worked on a CGI feature film version of it. And um, we we made some mistakes along the way, and we we neglected to get the rights to the Postman Pat 
TV show theme song until the last minute. And when that happened, the, the rights holder of the theme song tried to get a lot of money <laughs> from production because they knew that we had made a mistake. We didn't secure those rights early on. And we had an imminent date that we were opening in theaters and we needed those rights because the theme song was part of the movie. So that ended up, uh, that was a quite a, quite a challenge, but we, we got it all done, but yeah, the rights are very complicated. That's why there are, there are entertainment layers, people yeah. who specialize just in entertainment law and, um, business and legal affairs departments of studios are very important. Mm -hmm. I worked in Disney's business and legal affairs department for a couple of years and learned a lot there. And one so thing I learned about particularly getting right, you either have to make your own music, uh, use a production warehouse like, uh, I think I had access software to Warner Bros. They had like some music specials they put together, but there was like non uh, that you had a license that you had permission to use that for, I believe, fair use under educational purposes. And then uh -huh. non-copyright for non-commercial uh, non projects is like the three areas that I know a little bit about. Yeah, it's very complicated. Music licensing is it's a whole mm -hmm. different world <laughs> that is very, it's very expensive to license songs that uh, are not created. So, so yeah. what you said about creating music, especially for a, a, an original project, mm -hmm. that is oftentimes the most cost-effective way to go because it can, it uh, the, the price of, yeah. of licensed music is, it can really be astronomical, especially if it's a popular song. And yeah. then also another thing that's tricky is that Something might be fair use or public domain in the U.S., yeah. but not in another country. Yep. And so if you want your project to screen worldwide, I mean, mm -hmm. that's usually the goal for most content creators. They don't, or for a lot, I don't want to speak for everybody, yeah. but um, a lot of times that's the goal is to have as many places as you can't have your content in as many places as you can and if you have music that's only fair use in the u.s but everywhere else it's copyright um it's copyright protected then you're kind of in big trouble or you i yeah. mean you can roll the dice and use the music but then you run the risk of someone contacting you and sending you a cease and desist letter or um or something along those lines. Yeah. And people really weird how they uh, look at their projects. Anything that's remotely mentioning it or in the tagline or makes headway in any way, shape, and form in any news, they jump on it. Even super small, they jump on it. Yeah. Now, if it's a bigger yes, project, well it's, easier to, it's a lot easier to know. If it's a smaller project, it takes some time to figure out they're going to find you. Yes, and some some big companies just don't bother with, yeah. let's say, like fan creations, you know, mm. fan art, fan fiction, those types of things. Um, but but then there are other companies that are very particular, and they will they will zero in on even the smallest the smallest thing. In fact, some companies 
make that a business. That that's the way is their intellectual property is primarily from um, copyright lawsuits and cop copyright claims. Um, so so people spend time and money to create an intellectual property and. Um, it often takes many years, a lifetime maybe, to, to get it to a certain place of, of profitability. And, um, and they, they don't want to let, let that go. They, they want to maximize the amount of money that they've made on it because they've probably put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. So uh, it's, uh, it's a complicated business behind the scenes that most people who consume entertainment don't even know about or think about. Oh, yeah. And the only reason why I know a little bit about it is because I had that experience prior to what I'm doing now. Were, were, how was your experience? Were you um, on the side of creating content where an IP holder got in touch with you and said, don't do that? Or, or was your was your intellectual property taken by somebody else? Uh, it's actually learning intellectual property laws and oh. trying to stay within that field not to violate those laws. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I lie on it, is basically mm -hmm. copyright infringement prevention kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You, you yes. did everything you can to prevent it so it doesn't become a reality. Yes, yes, and good for you for doing that because a lot of people don't. Yeah. <laughs> they they either just don't know and they haven't bothered mm -hmm. to investigate, or they do know and they just willfully ignore mm -hmm. ignore the the uh, responsibilities of of copyright protection. Yep, mm -hmm. and um, sometimes the results are disastrous for both for both sides. That's why if you're going to do something with fair use, you do not show any music or any visuals of it. You just talk about it. Because talking about it is not copyright infringement because you're putting your own spin on it because you're not using any of the footage or any of the music. You also not, you basically, you're not, you're doing a new idea on it, basically. And that's why I tell people, it's like, if you're going to make a YouTube video about Batman, be sure if you're going to have Batman, have something that is Batman, but not the, not the showing the trailer, showing the music, just talk about it because then your, your live reaction becomes better. Or, yes. or you have a live reaction of the content. And you're not putting the, the sound in the background or the images. You're just doing a live reaction that way because they can't do nothing with that. Yes. Well, and then also, if you're really yep. going to hedge your bet on creating fan content and hope mm -hmm. that the owner of the property doesn't come down on you, at least make it really good content. Yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, because I... And I say that because I, I have some friends who, uh, it's a father-son duo called Bat and the Sun, mm -hmm. and they create really high-quality Batman content, and they have been hired by Warner Brothers. They've been commissioned 
to to do stuff for the official for official Batman canon and and promotions and things like that. So um, and they um, they talked to a group of of students. I invited them to talk to a group of students mm -hmm. that that I uh, work with from time to time, and they said they've never had anyone. Uh, no, they do other fan oriented videos. Um, but mostly Bat a, a lot of Batman, yeah. a lot of Power Rangers, and they've never had a studio come down on them for copyright infringement. They said what usually happens is the studio will observe how well they're doing and then they get jobs from it. So I think that's probably the exception, mm -hmm. but their production value is it, it's exceptional. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's feature film quality. So when you see what they're doing, you can understand why the IP owner is is takes the takes the uh, position of being flattered and wanting to and also their videos are very successful. They get so yeah. many millions of views and have such long term fans. And often they, their videos perform better than things that the studios produce themselves. True. So. I also would think that they'll also like have like a deep understanding of fair use, copyright, and also where to draw the line, too. Because there's different things Maybe. you can do with it that doesn't bring on the red alert for copyright, too. So. Maybe. Maybe so. I'm um, not but sure. But I think uh, they're just really passionate mm -hmm. fans, and um, they don't come from a legal background, and that means they the, just that means the transformative use is really high. That means they they've taken and changed the entire meaning. Yeah, usually what fan yeah, content is is transformative in nature. Yes, yes, that's true. They're creating a whole new um, work of art. Yeah. Brings in question: uh, Which products have you have been a consultant or leading expert? in doing that you actually passionate about? Well, I did very much enjoy my time working on Sonic the Hedgehog and I worked on all kinds of different iterations of the brand. So, um, so I was involved in the development of the first movie, but originally I was hired to, um, be the producer of the second season of Sonic Boom. So, mm -hmm. so I was the in-house producer for Sega. That was a, um, a show where in the first season, there were five, uh, six, sorry, six, there were six executive producers and none of them were on staff at Sega. So the, there were a lot of different uh, interests and agendas that were being uh, prioritized, but none of them were selling video games for Sega, which was the whole reason why um, Sega wanted to do the show in the first yeah. place. It was very expensive production. And um, the, the, the goal was to sell video games and also consumer products, especially the toys. And so um, so the, the, the goals got a little cloudy in the first season of Sonic Boom. So there were some things that were changed, and and um, Sega had some some restructuring in that time. And so then I came on board in season two, along with uh, three other fierce women. There were four of us, an all uh, an all girl TV team based out of Burbank, and we tried 
to realign the goals of the the TV series and get it get it more on track with the brand and what what Sega wanted to do with the brand and also with um, Tommy the toy the toy partner. Mm-hmm. It was hard work. I made a lot of enemies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I did get to work on a lot of different things during that time because it was um, Sonic's 25th birthday mm-hmm. in 2016. And so um, I was able to help with planning a lot of special events for Sonic's birthday. So we did a big to-do at Comic-Con that year in San Diego. And um, we we got Sonic into the World Video Game Hall of Fame. So we did a big social media push on that and uh, various other things in addition to the TV series. And plus the, the film was in development at that time too. So, so I got to work on a lot of different things and I just love Sonic. So it was, yeah. it was really a pleasure to work on that brand. True. And was Sonic your like big gaming piece that shot you up or does it like TV shows or animation shorts too? Um, so I mostly worked on Sonic Boom, okay. but um, but because it was such a big birthday for Sonic in 2016, the mm. the uh, the um, 25th birthday year of activities, uh, that was that was a lot, a lot of stuff. And then also, I worked on the development of um, Sonic Mania, which was a really fantastic resurgence of the video game aspect mm-hmm. of Sonic, which was how he was created. Yeah. He was created to be a video game character. And that was another thing that got lost in the shuffle of Sonic Boom. So we went back to Sonic's origins, the classic Sonic design, and we developed um, YouTube shorts on um, a, a series called Sonic Mania Adventures for YouTube. And um, so I so I worked on a little bit on the game and then also on the Sonic Mania shorts. But I left Sega in the middle of that, so I didn't get credit on any of it. Somebody else, I'll oh. tell you, somebody else <laughs> took my producer credit on that because I wasn't there. And somebody else took over and that was that. So... Well, would Those you at least shout out in the, in the, the uh, after credits that you were a uh, uh, contributor to the project? Yeah, I was okay. totally erased from, from Wait, that. Wait, you um, weren't even a contributor? Because usually they have anyone that worked with oh, them yeah. as a contributor, but not as like the main title. Nope, nope. Um, so um, some something interesting to know that a lot of people don't realize is that uh, for the most part, credits, whether it's in the beginning of a show or a movie or even in the end credits, it's something that is highly coveted and also negotiated. And so e- even the credit scroll at the end of a movie that has like a million names in it, um, it's very political as far as who gets in the credits, what their what their credit on screen is. And um, for example, I was, my title at Sega was producer, comma, TV series. But in Sonic Boom, I did not get a producer credit. I I was um, lumped together with a bunch of other people as part of Sonic production team. And that was because 
behind the scenes, there was a big fight about who got producer credit. And I did not win, <laughs> clearly, because mm. I did not get the producer credit. So um, so now I don't work for Sega anymore, so I can <laughs> I can tell you that I was. I was the producer, or, or one of several producers, but you won't, if you watch the credits, you'll see my name at the end very small in a group of other people. And it doesn't really accurately reflect what I did. True. It also depends on what level of producer you were at the time. If you weren't like the assistant producer or head producer, it kind of can say that you might be something else when you're not. So. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, the, the credits are very misleading in a lot mm -hmm. of cases, especially when you are a person who's hired to work on a brand. Like I, I didn't have any power. I didn't create Sonic the Hedgehog. I was just one of thousands of people who had worked on the brand. I mean, Sonic is a 30, yeah. 31 year old brand. And so I'm not a stakeholder. I don't get profits. I did I didn't invest in it. I didn't put up any of my own cash. I was just an employee of Sega. So in the grand scheme of things, I had no power. I mean, I could, I could cry. <laughs> and I can make a big deal when I didn't get my way, but that was about the extent of the power that I had. My 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 employment agreement did not promise me that I'd get producer credit on everything I worked on. I had business cards that said producer, um, but that was about as far as Sega's commitment to my credit yeah. went. So it, it's difficult, you know, like you could, people have quit jobs because they don't feel that they get the right credit, but I wasn't willing to do that. I, I need to work for a living. Yeah, and um, so I wasn't going to quit over that. I was disappointed and I, I'm not going to lie. There were tears shed. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of tears, true. but that's kind of the thing that you sign up for, especially in this business. I think it's hard just to be anybody yeah. working a job for anybody else. It's just, it's hard to be a human being, but, uh, but if you sign up to work in show business, you can expect to have a lot of crushing disappointments along the way. Yeah. And I've, I've got tons of them. <laughs> True. And also with credits is like, they're not obligated to give you any credit at all, even though technically you both to have, credit how's that work yeah well some people when they when they sign on board like when they're employed they will be able to negotiate for themselves in their contract it'll say this person is executive producer their name will appear in a full card credit at the beginning of every episode i mean it is spelled out in in some people's contracts. Now, I have asked for that before, and I've been told no. And really, you don't have a lot of negotiating power unless you're really willing to walk away from the opportunity. Unless you're willing to say, like, oh, forget it, I, I don't want to do this, and really walk away and see what happens. But there's there's really not much else you could do. Yeah, and I... Um, I've tried to play hardball before, but when I try to do it, usually people will say, okay, well, I guess we didn't need you that much anyway. Goodbye. <laughs> I, I'm not a good negotiator. That mm. is one thing I am terrible at. And okay. 
I should I should qualify that also by saying I am a good negotiator for other people. So if I'm working for a company, like on behalf of Sega, if I had to negotiate with a vendor, like a, a, an animation vendor or, you know, production crew for something live action, I, I, I am really a badass. But for me, I'm just kind of like, okay, whatever. What do you mean? So, with being a vendor and all this stuff, do you feel like you are really good at being in that position? Well, I I try to be good at, at um, being a, a vendor, a service provider to uh, to other entities, to clients. Um, and then um, I I also try to be a, a, a compassionate client because uh, a lot of times when I'm working for a bigger company, I have to represent that company and then I have to hire vendors so um, so I can see both sides mm -hmm. oftentimes this uh, comes in handy when I'm dealing with actors because I am an actor myself and I, I am a member of SAG-AFTRA and I I like to work under all the mm -hmm. lovely circumstances of the SAG-AFTRA agreements for various projects but it's often not possible when I am hiring actors for another on behalf of another company. Oh, okay. So I have to put my actor priorities aside and put on my producer hat and or my creative executive hat and think about what's good for the company, what's good for the person who is paying my paycheck. That okay. is that is top of mind. And uh, I guess one last question for you would be, what is the big, biggest moment you had to play it by ear and kind of be the boss's favorite for the best of the company? Oh, wow. Um, There's so many moments, but I guess I have to tell you every day that I work with Blanche, <laughs> I have to be the best employee possible because really, this is her show. This is her. She calls the shots at Pink Poodle Productions. So if she needs to step out for a bathroom break, I must honor that. Oh, okay. I see. <laughs> so she kind of influences you more as a the the dog coming in to say, I need to go. and Well, I'm busy, but I guess I can't wait. Kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Her <laughs> needs come first, always. Gotcha. <laughs> so, uh, as we take this to a wrap, what do you, uh, where can the audience find you and what can, what's your last closing statement to them? Well, again, I am very active on LinkedIn. So I'm just Marlene Sharp on LinkedIn. And then my business website is pinkpoodleproductions.com. You can send me messages through there too. 
and I'm on Facebook and Instagram and uh, what else? Twitter. Although I got to say, I'm not as active on those because I really see the payoff with LinkedIn. The other social channels to me are just kind of nice extras. Um, And to close it off, I would just like to encourage everybody to be civil to one another, especially in business. Yeah. Um, not just entertainment business, but in any business, because yeah. it's tough to have to work for a living. And if we were all just kinder to each other, it would be much more pleasant. True. That's <laughs> that, that's my, my words. Of, those are my words of wisdom. Be nice. Yeah, there's no I in team, even though there's pre-production in I, but <laughs> team does not have an I for a reason. So you had to work with the other people create the project, and overall lead the project if you're taking a leadership role or stepping up because that is where you're going to shine. And those small moments when you give a little bit of liberty and free will to do, the, you know, go give a, a penny, you go for a mile, that kind of thing. And That's I right. think that That's right. is really evident of that in production, animation, and overall any creative project. So I think yes. that's a great aspect. It's so true. And uh, guys, don't forget to subscribe to MC Anime Podcast. And you can find us on the mcanimepodcast.com, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Hot Radio. Please support us on Patreon, blog MC Anime. All the MC MC Anime tiers are available for crowdfunding, posts, opinions, all that good stuff. You can find there for original community. Thank you for Marlon Sharp for being with us today. It was a blast having you. Thank you, Mason. And I, it, <laughs> it was, was a, a blast to be here. Thank you. And it was nice to see the inspiration, the muse being the dog, and Pink Poodle <laughs> being the <laughs> the nice here. wrap up that we had. Here's, so here she is. Goodbye. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye, <fans. laughs> From Blanche. Bye. Enjoy. Bye.